Today's message was brought to you by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. Pastor Jason Swanson is our senior pastor here at RBC, and this message was recorded during our regular Sunday morning service times. Pastor Jason is currently in a series he's calling a walk through the book of Acts, Jesus at Work. Jason is continuing in the series, Walking Through the Book of Acts, and today he's in part 42 in a sermon he's entitled, The Kind of Church God Blesses. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 11, and today Jason's looking at verses 19 through 30. Here's Jason. You can turn with me to Acts chapter 11. Again, welcome to Rancho Baptist Church. I am Pastor Jason. I'm the senior pastor, and we are working our way through the book of Acts. We are watching... The Lord Jesus Christ build His church. And today we are going to see something, what I believe is very exciting, the first truly Gentile church of Christ. And as you turn there, let me, let me frame where we're going to go today with a question that I've been thinking about throughout the week. And that question is really simple, but I don't know that you actually consider this very much. Perhaps you do. That question is this. What is this church supposed to be about? What are we supposed to be about? What are we supposed to be doing as we come here on Sundays? As we gather together, what what should we expect to find? What should you expect to find as you come to church, as you perhaps visit churches? Maybe this is your first time here. What should you expect to find in a church? And no doubt if I if I took a poll... And I had everybody raise their hand and you guys each gave your input. We, we might get many, many different responses, right? Many different expectations as, as to what you are thinking is going to happen at church. And, and perhaps even some of you, you've been waiting and you've been, oh, thinking, man, I hope that I have an opportunity to talk to Pastor Jason at some point. And let him know, okay, you've been here a year. Why don't you stop doing this and start doing that? Right? Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm certain that some of you are, are thinking that. What, when is this guy going to calm down or, or what have you? But really what we need to do is we need to go to God's Word. We, we need to know what God's Word says about the church. What does Christ say about the church? What kind of church is it that the Lord blesses, that God blesses? And what we are going to see today is the kind of church that God believes, thinks, is doing the right thing. Are doing all the right things. So turn with me to Acts chapter 11 verses 19 to 30 and we will see the kind of church that God blesses. And Lord willing, we will take it from them as the example of the kind of church that we ought to be, the kind of believers we ought to be in Christ church, how we should relate with one another and what should be the most important thing for us. So follow along with me as I read the inspired, inerrant, so powerful Word of God. Verse 19, So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the Word to no one except to Jews alone. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. 
the news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Then when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. And he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Now at this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit that there would certainly be a great famine all over the world. And this took place in the reign of Claudius. And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. And this they did, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. So let's pray and ask the Lord for his blessing upon the preaching of his word. Gracious Heavenly Father, we desire to love the church as you love the church, to understand the church as you understand to follow your lead and to be a church that pleases you, that honors you, that glorifies you, and that as a result that you bless. So we pray now, Lord, that you would guide our time, that you would guide us into truth, into your truth, and allow us to gleam the things that you want us to gleam this morning as only your word can teach us, Lord. So allow your Holy Spirit to make your word clear and transform us this morning through the renewing of our minds, through the washing of your word. For it's in the matchless name, the name above all names that we pray. Amen. So one thing has been very clear the last couple of weeks, right? As we have been walking through the book of Acts, that at the beginning when everything started centralizing and happening in Jerusalem with the Jerusalem church and with the Jews in particular that were saved, that Christ's plan for the church was much more than just the Jews. That Christ's plan for His church was for the church to expand. And we have seen that in the last couple chapters. We have seen that Christ's heart is not just for the Jews. But the doors to Christ's church are to be wide open that all may enter in. And yet, really what we have seen and what we saw last week was, was really the, the introduction. It was just the beginning of where we are going to go, of what we are going to see as Christ continues to build His church outside of Jerusalem, outside of the Jewish nation, going out to the outermost parts of the earth. And we will see that clearly as, as the baton, so to speak, is, is passed from Peter to Paul. And as Paul from chapter 13 on becomes the central figure, we will see that Christ's church continues to expand, to reach out further and further. But what we're going to see today is, is the beginning of this process. What we're going to see today is, is a church that, that will be, that will be born. We'll see it grow. We'll see how it serves. 
And all of that will be the foundation of what the Lord has in store for this church, this church in Antioch, that will become the base of operations for the missionary endeavor that will go out to the outermost parts of the world. And for you and I, there is something for us to grasp in this. For although you and I are not part of the the church in Antioch, we are still part of Christ's church today. And in many aspects, the book of Acts has not been stopped in its writing process, right? It continues to go on and on. And and we are part of the book of Acts as Christ continues to build His church wanting to use us. And what we are going to see today are five distinctions that sets this church apart. That reveals to you and I the kind of church that God blesses. And the first distinction, the first thing that we see oh so clearly in this is that God blesses a church where everyone serves. Where everyone is involved in service. And we see this clearly in verses 19 and 20. Look at that again. These two opening verses. So then those who are scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia. And Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews alone. But, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. So what does Luke do? Luke now takes us back to Acts. Back to chapter 7 to chapter 8 where, where we saw what was happening with Stephen. And how after Stephen was martyred, what happens? Saul then starts this mass persecution upon Christ's church. And as a result, the church is disbanded and pushed out. And what we're going to see, amazingly enough, is that, that we actually will see everything come full circle. As the man who started this great persecution against the church, who then is saved on his way to Damascus in chapter 9, we will see that that same man is now brought to this church to become one of its leaders. And then later we will see that that He will be sent out by this church in only a way that God could orchestrate and only a way that the Lord Jesus Christ could bring to fruition and make work in, in such a marvelous, marvelous way. And in this, we, we're, we're seeing that the Gospel of, of Jesus Christ is, is going from one location to the next. Right? It starts in Jerusalem with, with the church there at Pentecost. But it didn't end there. It continues to go out and then it goes to Samaria and the Samaritans. And then we saw from there it, it goes out to Caesarea. And then it goes to Damascus where, where Saul was. Then it goes to Lydda, to Joppa, to Sharon, all these cities that we've seen. And then it continues to go on north of Judea, which is what we're looking at now continues to reach out and, and go to Phoenicia, which is modern-day Lebanon, and to Tyre and Sidon. And then it continues as, as some go all the way to the island of Cyprus. But some aren't content with just that. They want to keep going. And where do they go? They go to the city called Antioch, which is some 500 miles away from Jerusalem. That is how far Christ is sending His servants. And we also notice that it's not just about geographical location either. It's it's about nationalities. It's about people. Because that is God's heart. For God loves the world. 
And his desire isn't just that one particular nation would hear the gospel, but that all nations would hear. So, so we see it going from national Israel to those that are Hellenistic Jews that were part of the diaspora, that were, that were from other Gentile lands, but they were indeed Jews. And then we see that the gospel go to the half-breeds, right? The Samaritans. And, and then from there, we, we saw last week where it, it goes to those that are Gentiles, but they're, but they're still devout God-fearers. Right? With, with Cornelius and his household. Those were, were ones who were very concerned about God that were actually trying to follow God. But now everything is blown wide open as the gospel is going to go to those that are not devout God fearers. These are the ones that are outside. They are the pagan Gentiles. This is the unreached people of the world. And what was Antioch like? Why would God choose to start building His church here? Well, it might surprise you that that Antioch is a lot like America. A lot like Southern California, actually. That as far as the Roman Empire goes, it it was the capital of the east. In the east side of the the whole Roman Empire, Antioch was, was on top. There, there were only two locations that were more important than Antioch, and that was Rome and Alexandria. And then comes this place, Antioch. But it was also a, a melting pot for all sorts of nationalities. There were many people represented in Antioch. Not just Jews, not just Romans, but there were Greeks, there were Chinese, there were Latins. From all over the place, that's where they were coming. And then on top of that, the disposition of the, of the people. What were they all about? They were all about self. They were all about seeking after pleasure. They were all about sexual immorality. What, what does that sound like? Well, who does that remind you of? That reminds you of America. That reminds me of Southern California. And what does the Lord do? The Lord decides, no, this is where I will start. From here I will branch out. For they needed the gospel just as much as all of our neighbors need the gospel. And that we need to be involved in taking the gospel to those that are around us. And notice who the ones are that start this whole endeavor. Notice the names. It's, it's, it's Peter. It's John. It's all the apostles. No, it's, you don't notice any names, right? These are unnamed men. They're called some of the men. We, all we know about them is that they were from Cyprus and Cyrene. That, that's all you're given. Why? Because the Lord wants to make it clear that these men are the normal men. You know, we served in, in a mission organization called New Tribes Mission. That you may not know this, but, but one of the founding fathers of New Tribes was one of the five martyrs in Ecuador. Along with Jim Elliott and Nate Saint, there there was Peter Fleming. And when they started the mission organization that we served with for for nearly 20 years, they had a motto. And do you know what that motto was? That motto was God plus nothing. God plus nothing. that, That the Lord can use anyone and He chooses to use anyone. Even the nobodies. Even the ones that don't have a name, that aren't given a name. Of course, they have a name. But the Lord chooses not to reveal their name to remind you and I. It's not about you. 
It's not about me. It's about him and what he is going to do. And recognize, too, that that even though these men are from Cyprus and Cyrene, which gives them an, an avenue to go and minister, that this wouldn't have been easy for them. This would have truly been out of their comfort zone. Why? Because these men were were reaching a group that was not normally reached. That's why we see in verse 19 where they were going only to the Jews at first. Because that was easy. And now they decide, oh no, we're, we're not going to go to the easy ones. We're going to go to the more difficult ones. Those that are outside of our comfort zone, but those that we have a heart to reach. And perhaps this morning as you're sitting here, the Lord is bringing someone to mind to you. Someone that, that you know that, that you could share the gospel with, but that, that's out of your comfort zone. Why? Because perhaps maybe it's a family member that you know of that when you bring up this topic, it, it, man, it, it turns into fireworks. And yet be reminded this morning that it's not about you, it's about Him. And you can trust Him. And that He wants to use all of us in service of Him. Some of you might be thinking, okay, well, that sounds great, Pastor Jason, but I don't know how to get involved here at Rancho Baptist Church. I don't know where I'd serve. And I think one of the coolest things that I saw about Vacation Bible School wasn't just the fact that the kids were presented with the gospel and they had such a great time, but it was how I saw all of the leaders helping, how much the Lord was blessing them and what a joy it was for them to serve. And there is joy in serving and there are many opportunities. Let me just share one opportunity with you all. Right now, I know that there is a major need at this hour (laughs) in the second service in children's church ministry to be looking after the the infants in the nursery, to be looking after two and three year olds, to be looking after kindergarten to fifth grade. How do I know this? Because we we just had a, a big meeting at Pastor Shane's house. And in every one of the services, there are gaps. There are needs. Are you willing to step in to be used by the Lord to experience the joy of serving Him? And if you are, please go, go see Pastor Shane. R- write on your, on your welcome card your name that you're interested in children's ministry. And then, and then we can get back with you. But but to recognize that children are important to us, so we do have protection in play, that we're just not going to let anybody come and and, and look after our kids. So there is a vetting. You, You will have to go through a little bit of a process, but praise the Lord for the opportunity to serve Him right here, right now, even this hour or in the in the next service, that you could do that as well. And so we see clearly that that the Lord wants to use all of us and He wants us all serving. That the Lord blesses the church where everyone is serving. But but it's not just that. Look in verse 20 again. What, What else do we see about this church? We see that God blesses a church where Jesus is preached. Look at the last end of verse 20. Really the last phrase, but I'll pick it up with The men of Cyprus and Cyrene who came to Antioch. And what did they do? Began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. What what were these guys doing? What were they all about? Had they gone to seminary? Had they done this and that? No. 
They, they recognized the most important thing is to tell people about Jesus. And that's what they were doing. They were evangelizing all of the folks in Antioch. And they said, it doesn't matter that, that they are full on Greeks. That's okay. Because they need the Lord just like everyone else. And so what do they do? They make the gospel the most important thing. And so what were they all about? They were all about the gospel. Where, where did that come from? That, that had to come back from Jerusalem and the church that they were attending as they saw that the numbers kept growing and growing. Why? Because they were all about the gospel. Listen, is that what we're all about? Hey, if you come to a church and you don't hear the gospel, you don't hear the Lord Jesus Christ, something is wrong. As the gospel should be central to what we're all about. And we see that they are committed to the gospel. And we'll continue to see that. And it's clear that, that Christ is pleased with, with a church that, that number one, everyone is involved in service. Number two, that the gospel is the center, is the foundation, is everything is pointed to the gospel. But then we're also going to see, and, and look at verse 21, that grace is at work. That the grace of God is at work in that particular church. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a large number who believed turned to the Lord. How do I know that the grace of God is at work? Because the grace of God is the only thing that can save someone. You can't be saved by your works. It's not coming to church that saves someone. It's only the grace of God that saves someone. And the, and the way that, that Luke pins it, he pins it as, as saying that the hand of the Lord was upon them. What, what does that mean? The hand of the Lord. Well, in the Old Testament, there's two different ways that the hand of the Lord was used. In one aspect, it's talking about the power of God. That, that the power of God was, was working. But it's not just the power of God, it's the power of God shown in judgment. And clearly in, in, in this context, it's not talking about the power of God being revealed in judgment, or else you'd see people dying. The other way it's used in the Old Testament is the power of God displayed in such a way that it expresses His blessing. And I believe that's exactly what's going on here. That because of the preaching of the gospel, the Lord is now showing His power by saving many and many are being saved. And so we see that the grace of God is, is seen first in the fact that many are being saved. And yet, it, it does, the grace of God doesn't stop with that. The grace of God continues to go on after saving us. And what does it do? The grace of God continues to change us. As the grace of God has appeared all men for what? Teaching us to deny ungodliness, worldly lusts, and to do what? To live soberly, righteously in this present age. That's what the grace of God does. It works in our lives as it was working in their lives. And we've seen this in the book of Acts. All the way through, whenever a group is saved, you also see that their lives are being changed. First in Jerusalem, then in Samaria. We're, we're going to see it here now in Antioch. And if you were to go on a missions trip as we want to do missions trips, you know what you would see? If we went to a place where there is a gospel ministry going on, 
you would see changed lives. Whether you go to Ecuador, Papua New Guinea, it does not matter. You would see changed lives. Why? Because the gospel is the power of God. Not only to save, but to change. It will do its work as we see it's doing its work here to such an extent that now what happens? The news of what is going on in Antioch spreads out. Look at verse 22. The news about them. No doubt speaking of the church in Antioch. No longer talking about the the them, the men of Cyprus that were preaching, but now it's talking about the church. These believers in Antioch. The news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. So the church in Jerusalem hears what is going on in Antioch and what is their answer? Their answer is, man, let's send someone there to encourage them. No doubt there is probably a little bit of the aspect of, well, let's also check up. Let's make sure that, that everything is going well. But notice who they send. Again, as, as we saw in verse 20, that, that the unnamed men were the ones that actually started the church. Here, it's not an apostle that they send, as was the case earlier. Here, it's, it's Barnabas that they send, letting us know that it's not just the leaders of the church that should be involved in serving. Because if we limit the work of the church to only the leaders, what's going to get accomplished? Not a whole lot. But if everyone sees it as their responsibility to jump in, Man, the Lord can do amazing things. And that is what is going on here. And so what do they do? They send Barnabas. Which lets us know what kind of church this is, right? This is another freebie that that I believe would, would be another characteristic of a church that God blesses. And that is a sending church. A missionary sending church. A church that raises up missionaries and sends them out. Why? Because they're all about the gospel and they're all about reaching the lost. That's what a church should be. You know, we've seen this already from the Jerusalem church. This isn't the first person that they've sent out. Remember with with the Samaritans. They sent Peter and John. Why? Because they are a missionary sending church. What about us? What what about RBC? Who's going to be the next missionary that we send out? Perhaps it's one of you. Perhaps that is who the Lord has today. That He is grooming you. Getting you ready so that He can send you. We can send you as an extension of our body to do the Lord's work overseas somewhere. And wouldn't that be awesome? To see the Lord continue to raise more and more missionaries to go out and take His good news. And then look what happens. In verse 23, as they decide to send Barnabas, then when who, when he, Barnabas, arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. So we see Barnabas, his, his very name means son of encouragement, right? We see him acting in his God-given gifts. That he is an encouragement. And the reason why they send him, no doubt, is because they recognized he would be an encouragement to them. And so he gets to Antioch. And and did you see what it says about when he arrives in Antioch? It says this, it says, he witnessed the grace of God. 
How does that happen? How do you witness? How do you see the grace of God? The grace of God is not something visible. Right? You don't see the grace of God just as you don't see the wind. But what do you see? You see the effects of the grace of God. You see the changed life. You see the results of grace. And you see how that person is no longer the way they were. And I believe this is something that is vital to our Christian growth, to our Christian life with one another. That this is something that we should be doing in in our community groups and in life with one another. Listen, as you get ready to go to your community group and to spend time with, with fellow believers, stop and think about what the Lord has done in your life the last two weeks. As we call it in our group, sharing fresh bread, sharing the wonderful grace of God and what He has done in my life over the last two weeks, sharing that with others, that's a blessing to them. And you likewise, no doubt the Lord has answered some of your prayers. Bring that to the group and share that and allow them like fresh bread to eat that with one another. Why to be an encouragement just as Barnabas was an encouragement to this group here? By the way, if you... If you are not involved in a community group, you can jump in anytime. Anytime. Just because you didn't start at the beginning doesn't mean that now, maybe because the summer is a little bit freer in your schedule, that you can't jump in. Please jump in. Sign up in, in, in the hub outside. Write Pastor Eric an email. Talk to me. Talk to one of the pastors. Let us know. We'd love for, for anyone else to get involved in a community group that isn't in one yet. And it's not like we're, we're going to, you know, keep attendance and we're going to come after you with a stick if you don't come every week. We recognize that at times you won't be able to. But please get involved. Why? So that you can witness the grace of God in someone else's life. And you can rejoice and that will encourage you that when things are, are, are going a little bit tougher, you'll remember, oh man, remember what the Lord did over here. Perhaps He'll do the same thing with us with me. But we see that it wasn't just encouragement that Barnabas was giving them. We see that he was exhorting them. He was challenging them as he as he tells them to remain true to the Lord. He's encouraging them to persevere, to keep on keeping going. But what does that look like? How do you do that? How, how do you remain true to the Lord? That the key is this right here. The key is for you and I to stay close to the Word of God. To not forget to spend time in the Word each day. And to spend time studying His Word. Coming back to the Word of God. So that the Holy Spirit can then use the Word of God in our lives. And encourage us to keep on keeping going. So what have we seen up up to this point? First, we've seen that that God blesses a church where everyone's involved. And then we've seen that God blesses a church where the gospel is foremost. It is the central part of what that church is about. And then we've seen that God blesses a church where the grace of God is active. How do you keep the grace of God from being manifested in your life? Pride. Pride. That That is a grace blocker. That stops the grace of God from working in your life. And so how do you keep from being prideful? You be humble. And we're going to see that next. And the kind of church that God blesses is a church 
that has godly leaders. Look at verse 24. A church that God blesses is a, is a church with, with godly leaders. This is what it says about Barnabas. For he, Barnabas, was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. So first we see, it wasn't just that he was an encourager. It wasn't that he was just exhorting them, but to some extent, Barnabas also must have been one who was given to giving the gospel. Why? Because we see that through the ministry and the leadership of Barnabas, more and more came to salvation in Christ. But notice the first characteristic given about Barnabas. It's not that he is an encourager. Do you see what it is? It says that he was a good man. Well, wait a minute, Pastor Jason. I'm familiar with the story about Jesus and and the rich young ruler. And what Jesus told him is, there is what? No one good except God. So so is Luke and what he wrote here, is is this a lie? No, there is only one way for someone to be good. And this verse goes on and explains how Barnabas can be good. Did you get it? What does it say? He was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. He was saved. He was changed. He now had the Holy Spirit residing and dwelling him, giving him the power to go ahead and be a good man. It was Christ living in and through him that allowed Barnabas to be the servant that he was, to be the godly leader that he was. And notice what else we see. We see that the Jerusalem church, they sent the right man. Think about what would have happened if they sent someone who, who, who majored on the minors. If they sent someone who, who didn't have a heart for this particular people. Who came and saw that, that these Gentiles were eating with Jews. Oh no, they were actually having fellowship with Jews. He'd be just like what we saw last week, right? With Cornelius and his group and, and, and some of the Jews saying, wait, wait, wait. No, you're doing it all wrong, Peter. But we don't see that with Barnabas. We see that they knew that the kind of man that they sent was a man who would be gracious and loving to this group. Because if they had sent somebody that had majored on the minors... I believe that he would have had grace blinders on. And that what he would have seen was not the grace of God being manifested in all that was going on, but all he would have seen is how they weren't living up to his expectations. And how many times do I act like that? Do I put these grace blinders on and instead of seeing the wonderful thing that God is doing, I look at some negative aspect. This should not be so. Look at verses 25 and 26. For we see that, that not only is, is Barnabas a godly man in his character, in the way that, that he served, in the way that he encouraged, in the way that he loved on them, but he's godly in the way that he looked after the church and the fact that he's humble. Oh, so humble. And he, speaking of Barnabas, left for Tarsus to look for Saul. What? And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. I don't know about 
you, but for me this doesn't make any sense. Right? He's in the middle of this wonderful, fruitful ministry. Everything is going great for Barnabas. He's in that spotlight. He's being the son of encouragement. The church is growing. People are growing. And then what does he do? He goes, oh, time out. You know what? I'm going to take off now and I'm going to go find Saul. And, and in the Greek, this idea that he went and looked for Saul, it gives the idea that he didn't just go and find him right away, but that he actually searched and searched and searched. It wasn't easy. And it's a long way to where Saul was. Why is he willing to sacrifice so much? He's willing to sacrifice so much because he recognizes that he can't do this alone. That he needs help. Even someone as gifted as Barnabas recognizes, you know what, what's more important isn't that I keep doing this, but that the body gets fed, that the body is ministered to. And there's some extent that Barnabas must recognize, hey, I need help. I'm gifted in this area of encouragement and admonition, but what I need is I need a solid teacher. And I remember hearing this man, Saul, preach. And, and, and he is such a good preacher. So I'm going to go to that man. I'm going to go to Saul. Why? Because he's humble. And he recognizes that, that he's not the end all to the church. And no pastor should ever believe that they are the end all to that church. We need one another. And men in leadership need other men that are in leadership. And this is what we see going on with, with Barnabas that he, that he says, okay, you know what, I'm going to go. But I wonder, what I, I'd love to be a fly on the wall with, with this encounter. Why? Because it has been years since Saul left and has now been kind of trapped in Tarsus, his hometown. Remember, he, he was basically run out of every town that he was in. And the last one was Jerusalem. And then they... they Basically run him off and he goes back home to Tarsus. And now it's been eight to ten years. And do you remember what the Lord told him? The Lord told him, you're going to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And I'm sure by this time Saul's thinking, well, I'm still kind of stuck here. Right? What, what did you mean, Lord? I guess that was it. My, my ministry is the apostle. That's probably, it's right here. It's Tarsus. And yet we don't see anything ever displayed that lets us know in Scripture that there is any kind of fruitful ministry happening in Tarsus. We, we don't see it anywhere. We know from Galatians that he was preaching in Tarsus, but we don't know what happened. And so then who shows up? Barnabas, Mr. Son of Encouragement. Oh, Saul, you won't believe what's happening over here. They're coming to the Lord. Hey, come with me, come with me. And perhaps Saul said, wait a minute. It sounds like you got it covered. And you know what? I'm just going to stay here in my nice little house. And Bartimaeus, no doubt, said, no, you're not. The Lord has much more in store for you. Come with me. And it's interesting that, that on the mission field, so many times uh, a relationship with your coworker is so pivotal. Why? Because at times you get discouraged and you're ready to call it quits and your coworker's like, no. And for me, so many times that coworker was my wife. And, and on the reverse at times where she gets discouraged, what happens? I was able to encourage her. I believe that's what happened. Total conjecture. I'll know when we get to heaven exactly the way this all played out. But in either case, Barnabas recognizes he needed help and he goes and he gets Saul. And he brings Saul back with him. 
And this just must have been a, a huge act of humility on the side of Barnabas. For he was in, in, in pretty much a, a prominent position. He wasn't an apostle, but he was a very important man. But he recognizes the importance of having Saul come and help him. Because he knew that was better for the church than him just ministering by himself. And then we see what they're all about when they're there, right? This is what leaders do in the church. That they taught considerable numbers. They teach. They're all about God's Word and establishing God's Word as the central focal point of the church. And then we see this. I believe it's as a result of being saturated with God's Word that they are taught God's Word over and over and over again to such an extent. Do you know what these believers talked about all the time? They talked about Christ. And so as a result, the people in Antioch, they come up with a new name for them. And that new name is Christian. Which means Christ men, Christ one, of the party of Christ. Those associated with Christ. Those that are all about Christ. And the way that they would do this in their cultures is a Roman soldier. If he was showing his allegiance continually to his general, they would call that person whatever that general's name is with the Ian ending. I-A-N at the end. So if you were totally into Caesar and you were sold out for Caesar and you were willing to die for Caesar, what do they call you? A Caesar Ian. And if you were totally sold out for Christ and He was all that you were about, what did they call you? They called you a Christ Ian. You're all about Him. Man, is that the case with you, with me? When somebody spends time with me, what do they hear? What do, what do they think? Do they think, oh yes, this man is all about Christ, or do they not? I believe being all about Christ and having leaders that are led by the Holy Spirit, that are humble, it has an effect on a church. And we see this. And the effect that it has is it, it encourages the church not only to serve, but to be givers. Let me close with this. God blesses a church with generous givers. Look at verses 27 to 30. Now at this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit that there would certainly be a great famine all over the world. And this took place in the reign of Claudius. It's the point. A, a prophet as seen in the Scripture is always right. Or he's dead. And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. And this they did, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. So what happens? Somebody predicts he's a prophet. The Lord gives him the ability. He says, hey, there's going to be a great big famine. That famine happens. The church in Jerusalem, all the churches in Judea have a hard time. The church in Antioch obviously isn't having such a hard time. So what do the believers do in Antioch? They say, you know what? Let's get together something for that group and we will send this to the church in Jerusalem. What's the hold on? I can't believe that happened part of this is that we're talking about Gentiles to Jews. They don't mix. They've never mixed. Right here they mix. Why? Because of Christ. This is what we should be all about. We should be generous givers. Why? Because God has been so gracious to us. So gracious. And notice who they send the 
the charge to They give it to Barnabas and Saul. So they go back to Jerusalem. And then when they get there, who do they, they give it to the elders. They give it to a group of godly men that were called by the Lord to look after that church. This is why we believe in, in plurality and, and elder rule within a church, that not just one man is in charge. You can take a look at the points to ponder this week. I've already gone over them. Consider how the men that established the church in Antioch were not the apostles or Philip or anybody with these you know, names that you and I would know, but they're just normal, everyday believers. How does this encourage you to, to be used of the Lord? Number two, consider how the believers in Antioch were the first to be called Christians. No doubt that's because they were loyal to Christ and they were all about Christ. How does this challenge you? As it has challenged me all week. Do I talk about Him? Let me close our time. Heavenly Father, we thank You that Your Word is so practical. That Your Word is living. And that these that lived so many years ago can give us an example. Can challenge us by the way that they lived. How they were willing to follow You. How they put Your Gospel at center stage. And how they served one another. How Your grace was manifested in the way that they were living. And that it was known to even Barnabas who comes from a different place and sees it. May that be the case for us. May Your grace be working in our lives to such an extent that people can see it. Because of the things that You are doing in our lives. And may we share that with others that we might encourage one another to continue on keeping on. So go before us now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. Here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951 676 2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. Have a great day in the Lord and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.